Good morning, Sarepta. It's wonderful to be with you again. And um, I'm going to be sharing with you today the last of a series of talks I have given around this subject or this theme of pitching our tents in a land called hope. And uh, I shared with you that there are four tent pegs that hold the tent in place. The pole that, that holds the entire structure up is faith. It says that the righteous will live by their faith. The, the tent pegs that hold the tent in place are, first of all, the sovereignty of God, second of all, the presence of God, third of all, the love of God, and fourth, and this, this is what we're going to be talking about today, the Word of God. I'm not sure if it's these things are in the right order, but this is the order in which I've dealt with them. But I love the subject of the Word of God, which we're going to be talking about today. The Word is the, is the map. It is the descriptive text that tells us what Hopeland is. It tells us where we are destined to be, what we are going, going to become. It's a little bit like Abraham was told, go to a land that I will show you. And what it tells us is that in his heart, as he was going, God was writing the story, was drawing the picture, was painting the picture. So that Abraham, it says, uh, saw a city whose builder and maker was God. And, and so the Bible is that word for all of us. It is, the, it is the book that tells us God's story in advance. It tells us our story in advance. Um, I often say to people, every so often we should read the end of the book because it shows us, it reminds us of the fact that our side wins in the end, that God has got this, that God will be the, the, the one whose name is plastered all over the universe. And so the Word of God assures us of our hope. It describes our victory and the joy that is set before us. Let me give you some scriptures that the Bible itself, where the Bible itself describes itself. It says this in 1 Timothy three sixteen and 17, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the word or the message, and the message is heard through the spoken word of Christ, through the word uttered by Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And of course, the great text that speaks about the word that the word describes is in uh, John chapter 1 verses 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And of course, it is describing to us the living word, which is Jesus. 
And so what we see when we, descri- when we think about the Word of God and ask the Bible to tell us what is this Word of God, it tells us three things. It tells us the Word of God in three terms, using three different terms. The first one is graphi, and that is the written word. Uh, that's the word that is used when it talks about, uh, when it says all scripture is God breathed. It's the written word of God. The, the second word is the logos, which is the, what John uses in chapter 1, uh, verses 1 and 14. Uh, the word that is a living expression, an embodiment, an incarnation of the truth that the graphi describes. The third is the one that is the transformative word of God, and, and it is the word rema. And that word means uh, the, 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 the voice, the spoken word. It comes through a message that is uttered. And when, that word, when the person uttering that word is God, then we have a powerful, life-transforming uh, uh, thing that is released into the very atmosphere. The Bible is the thing that describes it all. And, and there is a great deal of um, uh, controversy. There is a great deal of uh, uh, weakening of the position of the Bible in the faith of many in the church today. So let me just um, uh, summarize. I don't want to go into a study about all of that, but let me summarize it by saying this. We need at the very start of understanding how to put our tent peg of the Word of God into our land called hope. We need to understand that we are dealing with the Word of God. We're dealing with an an unchangeable, eternal, infallible, transformative, powerful thing when we are dealing with Scripture. This is not the words of men. This is the words, the God-breathed realities from heaven communicated to earth. We know that because the Bible has demonstrated over 2,000 years its power, the fact that it does what it says, it transforms us. Second of all, its prophetic accuracy. It, is, it, it, it spoke 2,000 years before and, and even longer before Christ about what he was going to accomplish. And more than 300 prophetic uh, utterances about the Messiah are f- fulfilled in detail in the life of Jesus. Uh, the other reason why we know this thing called the Bible is the Word of God. It's not just the book is because of its survival, despite amazing, uh, many centuries-long persecution. Uh, One of the prime examples of that is is how a a person called Voltaire, who was a a French philosopher and revolutionary, um, spoke uh, with absolute venom against the Bible and against Jesus. And he said this, he said, the Bible will be taken, destroyed from the face of the earth within a hundred years. It will disappear from the face of the earth. And I love the irony of this. The house in which Voltaire said those words, his own house in Paris, is today the headquarters of the European Bible Society. Uh, God does really have a sense of humor. Um, so, What we have here is a process 
whereby the way we drive the tent peg into our land called hope is by, I'm going to talk about some specific things that we are to do in terms of our attitude toward it and our behavior according to it. But the process that happens is that the graphia becomes the logos, becomes the rhema. It's all word. It is all powerful, supernatural. It is all living. But there are things, you can have that living word. You can sleep with it under your pillow. You can have it in your jacket pocket. And it won't change you unless you do these things with it. Um, in First John chapter twenty, First John chapter two, verse twenty and twenty-one, and also verse twenty-seven, John says an interesting thing. He says, "You have you all, you the church, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know all the truth." I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, remain in him. Now, John was speaking about a very specific truth when he said that. But in doing so, he also describes the fact that we have an anointing that teaches us. There is a the living presence of God within you that is teaching you all the time. And this, of course, is the fulfillment of the new covenant, the promised new covenant where God says, I will write my law in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. I will teach them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Um, and so the fact is that we have that anointing. But here is the news, people. You can know it without understanding it. And you can even understand it without knowing it. Hold that thought and we'll return to, the, to that thought right at the end. But until we do both, until we know and understand, until we understand so that we know, uh, the, the, the anointing doesn't change us. The anointing doesn't do what, it, what God sent it to do. Um, there are some very important principles that have to uh, step in, into place so that we can turn on the engine, so to speak, so that we can engage the gears, so that we can see momentum, so that we can arrive at our destination in the land called hope. So here are some of those steps. The first one is affirm it. We need to affirm the Word of God as the Word of God. We need to acclaim and, and appreciate it. Uh, the, the, the Scriptures speak in many places about the nature of this Word. It is spoken of as the rock, as a foundational rock on which we can build. It is spoken of as a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. It is spoken of as... Uh, beyond the value of the most precious of precious stones and gold. It is spoken of as uh, the light that is given so that our, we can walk in light rather than in darkness. It is spoken of as food, more, more beneficial to us than all of the nutritious meals 
that your mother ever prepared for you. To affirm it also means, by the way, to refuse to abuse it. Refuse to abuse it. Don't use the Bible as some kind of uh, horoscope. Don't, don't use it as, you know, let me just pull a text out and, and say it with, in, an, in a careless way. Don't abuse the, the, the word. Don't take to yourself things that actually were never meant for you. Don't you, you quote scripture out of context. Don't use it to justify behavior that it in itself will, uh, will not endorse. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 says this, Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And so affirm the word of God as supreme, as above every other source of truth. Here's the thing to know about the Bible. It does not say everything about everything. It does not teach us everything about everything. But it teaches us everything we need to know in order to become godly and to become the people that God has designed us to become. The second thing that we need to do with this word is love it. The Psalms are full of statements like that, um, speaking about the word. Psalm 119 is the great psalm about the word of God, and it uses phrases like this. It says, I esteem all your precepts, and I hate every false way. It is more precious to me than gold. It is sweeter than honey, the honey in the honeycomb. There are many other places that speak in the, those high terms about the Word of God. And, and let me say, add this. At the same time, I, I constantly ask God to give me love for His Word, especially when that, that love is waning a little. But I ask God to keep me in love with hearing His Word, with, with chewing on, with enjoying the, the nutritious nature of his word. At the same time, I don't always like it. Uh, that, that may sound a little like a contradiction, but it's not really. Uh, the fact is that the word of God is something that many, many times offends our sensibilities. It offends our minds. It offends our thinking. It definitely offends our culture. Everybody's culture is contradicted and, and challenged. We can love the Word of God at the same time that we don't like it. I have found that many times in my life, and I think I've shared with you before a text that God used to speak to me in a context like that on one occasion. It's Job 22 verse 21, and it's in the Revised Standard Version of that text. And it says this, Agree now with God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. I've often used that speaking to myself and also speaking to others to say there will be times when you won't understand it. There will be times when you don't like it. But at that time, take your soul, take your mind in hand and say, I am telling you now, soul, I'm telling you now, brain, agree with God, even if you don't understand it. Agree now with God. God will explain it later. But at the same time, in the meanwhile, peace will come to you and good will come to you. 
Um, so, that's the second word. The second thing to do with it is love it. The third thing is study it. By study, I don't mean necessarily go to Bible college. I don't mean necessarily have a uh, theological degree. And I, in fact, am not talking about theology when I say study the Word of God. What I mean is spend time at least once or twice or three times a week, but preferably daily, reading the Word of God and letting, letting it read you. Study it. Understand what the scripture is saying. Get into the story of it. And then memorize the texts. Memorize verses. Uh, let them become the means that God uses to wash your mind. Uh, learn how to rightly divide the word of truth as we saw in Second Timothy chapter 3. And by the way, in that regard, uh, one of the things that has also become confused in the church is the idea that because we believe in the priesthood of every believer, we also believe in the, in the teaching ministry of every believer. Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone is a leader. Everyone is a priest. Everyone has the same standing before God. Everyone has the same right to be able to address God directly, to pray and to be a connector between God and people. At the same time, we are not all, we don't all have the same gifting with regard to understanding, with regard to, to teaching, with regard to being able to analyze God's word. And so let us never throw away the need that we all have to sit at the feet of gifted teachers, to listen to our pastors, to be uh, a people who are um, uh, submitting ourselves to the teaching of the body of Christ, of the church of Jesus Christ, so that we can stand in, in, uh, in, on, a, in, on a strong foundation of orthodoxy, of understanding what God has taught his church for over 2,000 years now. So I said at the beginning I was going to return to this thought. You can know without understanding and you can understand without knowing. Understanding is a, an intellectual thing. It is something that you have in your mind. Knowing is an experiential thing. It is something that happens because you act on that knowledge. It, became, it, it becomes living knowledge. It becomes practical knowledge. And then it is then that it is able to transform you. Let me read you Psalm 119, uh, three verses, 9 to 11, to try to illustrate this point. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, probably all of us have come across that verse at some point. What does it mean? What does David mean when he says, If I hide your word in my heart, I won't sin against you. Does that mean that if I memorize the whole Bible, I will never sin? Uh, does it mean that I will be automatically in some magical way protected from temptation? 
um, by, he, he speaks about by taking heed to his path according to your word is the way to purity. The path of purity is taking heed, is, is thinking about it, listening to it, and then pr- putting it into practice. It is by that process that we are transformed. Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, also verses that I'm sure most of us have memorized at some point. That we, uh, he says, do not be conformed any longer to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? By taking heed to the words of God. By letting the words of God shape the way we think. By putting into practice what we hear. That is the way our lives can be transformed. And so, driving the tent peg into the ground, into the land called hope, has those features. First of all, uh, in terms of the word of God, this particular word of God, uh, tent peg, uh, we, we do that by affirming it. We do that by loving it. We do that by studying it. And we do that by um, uh, obeying it, putting it into practice. The way it makes the journey from understanding to knowing, from, from uh, knowing to transforming us, is by agreeing with it, by mixing it with faith, and by acting on it. Paul says an amazing thing to the um, Thessalonians when he writes to them in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you drove the tent peg into your particular patch. You accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the Word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. When when we believe, when we take it seriously, when we say uh, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this Word, there is no light of dawn in them. When we have that attitude of appreciation, of affirmation, of loving, and of embracing everything that the Word is telling us, We will experience the change, the transformation that God wants to see in our lives. In other words, we will live our hope into reality. So, once again, let's pray. Let's invite God's Holy Spirit to come and to make these things true and real in each of our lives. Father, thank you so much for who you are, for the fact that your word describes who you are. Not only that, but Lord, your word gives us the the handle to take that reality of who you are and to live in the light of it, to live in the good of it, to let the grace of who you are transform us step by step from glory to glory into the image of your son. Lord Jesus, come right now and give us new appreciation for your word. Give us fresh commitment, conviction about living according to your word, about being a people who embrace all your precepts and hate every false way. 
Lord, may we be a people of obedience. May we be a people who are followers, disciples of yours, so that we may see you in our lives much more than we see ourselves. We thank you. We welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cheers, Sarepta. See you again.